Good morning. How about now? Can we hear me? On, can you hear me now? And now I have no camera. Okay. Can you guys hear me now? It looks like you can because my, uh, the little, there we go. And for some reason now I have no camera. This is unreal. Let's just see. I don't know. We might have to do this without a camera this morning, guys. I apologize for that. Uh, I just had this camera working. I, it's not my, it's not the, uh, Hey, Joshua, how you doing, man? Yeah. Uh, the camera's not going to work, so I don't have the time to uh, sit here and troubleshoot it. I don't want to waste everybody's time today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to quickly, quickly talk about um, about insurance. And we're not going to discuss insurance as it relates to necessarily. We're not going to get into the weeds on the creative deals. Uh, maybe you guys can hear my dog in the background, panting in the background. He needs some family time this morning. But, but anyway, um, I want to talk about a little bit about insurance and the types of insurance that we need. Uh, and just to make sure you guys have really just have your basis covered when it comes to, um, when it comes to properly insuring properties. And so, well, before we do that, obviously you guys, I know, I know this is a really, I feel kind of weird talking into nothing. I can't really see my, uh can't really see anything here, but um, if you guys wouldn't mind, go ahead and, and do that whole like, subscribe, notification bell. You know the deal. Um, many are probably on here because you've already done that. I realize that, but uh, if you haven't joined us before, uh, head over to YouTube. We're doing this, this live on YouTube right now, and we'd, uh, we'd really appreciate the uh, support. All right, so I'm going to run through this kind of quick, but um, feel free to Put any questions you might have in the chat. I will check the chat. Uh, I have a little checklist I kind of want to go through here. Uh, so first, first thing I want to say about insurance is let's make sure that you are buying the right type of policy for the activity that you're doing. So, so um, what I mean by that, so we have we have a couple of different activities. So if you're a, a for a uh, um, you know if you're a house flipper or a rehabber. Obviously, there's there's an insurance policy built just for specific uh, for your specific niche, all right. And if you are a landlord, a buy, hold, a buy and hold investor, there are other policies that can be specifically built for you. Um, but I want to talk about the rehabbers. If you guys are out there rehabbing houses, or if you're, you're you know you're fixing up uh, fixing up houses, then you're maybe later you're turning them into into rentals, or you're doing seller finance deals. The very first uh, the very type of policy that needs to be in place, and this is either by if you are your own general contractor or if you're hiring a con hiring a general contractor, you got to have a general liability policy, policy that is uh, that is um, purchased and billed yearly. So it's going to be annualized. You so you buy the policy and it's good for a year, right? <clears throat> and what this does is tech. Um, it's going to protect you or, or your contractor against claims of property damage, bodily injury, or what we call advertising injury, which is something I'm not going to get into here because I honestly, I don't, I've never seen a claim for advertising injury. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you have, but it has to do with, um, um, 
it had more to do with what's the word I'm looking for? Um, more like libel and and um, and things that that, that uh, aren't necessarily you would think are related to the job site. It has to do more with uh, with libel. Um, but so it, it, your general your uh, general liability policy is going to protect against uh, property damage, bodily injury, and advertising injury for whatever you know whatever that's worth. But it's going to be on someone else's property. So so if you're if you have, if you're hiring a general contractor to come and do work for you, it would be very wise for you to require them to have a general liability policy. If they're going to be doing work for you on your property, this is going to protect. Um, it's going to protect them, and it's going to protect you against uh, property damage and bodily injury. All right, so um, this this type of policy is going to follow your general contractor or yourself from site to site. So uh, like I said, it's a policy that covers you for the year and it's gonna follow you from site to site. Um, one example of this might be that, uh, you know, one of your one of your contractors uh, or maybe an employee or a subcontractor, maybe they leave nails laying all over the yard or something like that. And someone from the neighborhood, or even even one of the subs, steps on one of those nails. This policy, this po- actually, it's not going to be a sub. It's not going to be employee. This would be. This would cover. This would cover a a business owner for if somebody outside of the business comes in and injures himself, and uh, and um, the other. So we're ta- what I'm talking about. If a sub were to step on a nail or something like that. Uh, that would be covered under under workers comp but um but this could be like a local neighborhood kid that that you know accidentally stumbles across the yard and steps on a nail so that's what that's what uh that's just one small example of what a, a general liability policy would cover there's many many more uh, so i'm really just narrowing it down to uh you know bare minimum here um but what it, the general liability policy does not cover is bodily injury to employees or damage to employees or contractors own property or tools. So, uh, so it's not going to cover those things. It's generally, it's in place uh, strictly to protect against claims of property damage or bodily injury outside of the business. So it's protecting the business. And so, like I said, uh, you know, if, if an employee or a subcontractor is injured, this is where workers comp is going to come in. We have all kinds of different insurance for, I mean, there's, if you're in this business, you're dealing with like, and especially if you're doing rehabs, you're dealing with like four different types of policies here. So the insurance, the insurance business is not hurting at all. So we've got our general liability policy. Uh, It's going to cover, like I said, year to year, it's going to cover, it's going to cover annually. Then we have our builder's risk policy, which is something that uh, many, many of your contractors do not purchase. However, you can purchase a builder's risk policy uh, for you, for that particular project. And I would highly recommend that you do because here's what it is. Um, it is to protect the job site and building materials. So things like vandalism, uh, you know, theft of building materials, uh, destruction of building materials, Things like that, things that uh, are non kind of non-human related. They are the 
consider the materials and the requirements needed to complete the job. Now, this policy, let me make sure I've got no questions here. Okay, there we go. The, uh, the builder's risk policy is written on a per job basis. So this, this is not something that you go by and it follows you from job site to job site. It is literally, you purchase it for that specific job and that's all that this policy is gonna cover. Once that job is completed, that policy is, is null and void. And uh, you know, once final payment is made to your contractors, uh, that's it, this policy disappears. All right, uh, like I said, it's gonna, it's gonna protect the job site and building materials. It is going to, uh, it's gonna cover damages only to property owned by the policy holder. So, so if you are buying materials and you're storing them at the job site for if you're, you know, if that's your job in this uh, in this particular rehab, maybe you're an owner and you've purchased all these materials. Well, if those materials are stored at the job site, it's this builder's risk policy is only going to cover the material that you purchased. It will not cover any materials that your contractor purchased. So uh, it's going to depend. That's something you need to uh, work out ahead of time. Is your contractor going to be buying the materials or are you going to be buying materials? For us, we have our contractor buy the materials. So he has to get the builder's risk policy. Now, we may pay for that policy, but the policy has to be written in his name because he's going out and purchasing all the materials. Some of these, uh, some, there are some other builder's risk policies, by the way, that also cover property damaged, uh, property damaged owned by others while it's located at the uh, at the site. So um, make sure you shop around. It might be that uh, maybe you are purchasing some of the, I mean, you're, part, you're purchasing partial materials, your contract is purchasing the other materials. Some policies can be written where it will protect either, either of those situations or, you know, whoever purchased those, those uh, materials, as long as it's on the same job site. All right. So uh, so those are the differences between the general liability and the builder's risk policy. If you're doing rehabs, I would recommend that you do both. You buy both of those, um, especially now that materials over the past couple of years, even though the, the prices are starting to come down a little bit, um, it is still the materials are still very, very expensive these days. And, it, you know, not being able to or not being able to recover the cost of those materials could easily put you over over your budget on on these deals so these policies are in addition to the already existing homeowners policy that if you borrowed money your lender is likely going to require you to have first of all uh, which you should have it anyway i mean the the homeowners policy is going to cover cover the shell you know it's going to cover the uh, the property uh, in general generally so i highly recommend that you uh that you purchase these uh, the general liability or make your contractor purchase the general liability and then also a builder's risk policy. So let's say we've got done the rehab, everything's done, we're good to go. Um, and now you are going to be renting this, this property out. Now we have to get go out and purchase a, a landlord policy. I'm going to stick to rentals. Because if we go down the path of the seller finance thing, although it's very, very similar, it's not hard to do. Uh, I'm going to stick to rentals on this one. There are, let me make sure we've got, there are a couple of different types of policies when we're talking about landlording or 
or seller financing, which I'm not going to get too far into the seller financing part of it. But, and you have to make sure that you're purchasing the correct type of policy here, because if you're not, obviously the insurance company is not going to cover, uh, not going to cover, they're not going to write a policy and then let's say they're not going to, they're not going to write a policy for a vacant property and then cover that property if it's tenant occupied, especially if maybe there's something that the tenant, uh, the tenants at fault with. All right. So, so I just gave away the secret that the two types of landlord policies, one is going to be a vacant policy. This generally applies if the house is vacant for 30 days or more. So that really all that means is let's say that, uh, I don't know, you've, um, you finished up the rehab, but you know, it's going to be, it's probably going to be 30 days before you can get somebody in there, maybe longer than 30 days. If it's going to be longer than 30 days, you have to buy a vacant, a vacant policy. That also, that would also apply if maybe you have, um, you have a tenant that's leaving and you need to do some repair, you some, uh, you know, you got to get someone in there to uh, do some fix up and clean up. If that's going to be vacant for longer than 30 days. Make sure you have a vacant policy. And then we have our tenant occupied policy. Um, that is exactly what it sounds like. So this would be, they may not call it tenant occupied. It's just going to be an occupied policy. Um, and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's if, if you're renting the property out or if you're seller financing, uh, make sure that the policy that you have written uh, is a landlord policy and make sure that it is, if you have somebody in the property, make sure it's a an occupied policy. It's going to be way cheaper as well. Insurance companies love to see properties occupied. So um, the major difference between these two is mainly price. A vacant policy is much more expensive um, than a tenant tenant policy. And, you know, obviously there's greater risk with a vacant property. That's why, uh, that's why we, we want to get our properties filled as quickly as we possibly can. But a vacant policy is going to be definitely more expensive. And also a lot of companies, what they'll do with this, with these, uh, with these landlord policies is they will require you to purchase a policy, say for six months or a year. And if you, if, let's say you, let's, let me give you an example. Let's say you buy a vacant policy and, you know, it's on day 31, somebody gets that property, or some, you get somebody into that property, you get a tenant into that property. So you've paid though, you've paid for a, a yearly premium. So there should be some reimbursement, obviously. If you've paid for a yearly premium, but you're only using it for 30 days, there's reimbursement. Well, a lot of these insurance companies will have a minimum three month, 90 day, um, reimbursement policy where they, they'll reimburse you everything except for that first 90 days. So it's a little bit of a scam, uh, run, I think by the insurance companies, but that's the way that it is. So, uh, I'm sure they have a reason for it. I just don't know what that reason is, but that is, um, and then on the, the tenant occupied, Generally, you're looking at um, you're looking at a liability. Uh, we're talking about landlord policy. You're took you're uh, a liability of minimum of a million dollars. That's generally where they where they start. And then what we like to do is instead of buying a a policy with all these bells and whistles and all these uh, kind of I guess you could call them kind of luxury items. Um, <laughs> trying to 
trying to really uh, be like these extra little things like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being totally facetious here, but, uh, you know, it could be like something special, like a, like a, like a flood rider or something like that. Something that you know that you would never need in a particular area. What we like to do is we like to build policies that exclude all of the fluff and all the things that we do not need. And also we look at whether or not the property is in an area that we are personally willing to, uh, to rebuild should a catastrophe happen. So for example, if I buy a property in an area that, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm not particularly, maybe there's not a lot of new construction. Maybe it just wouldn't fit. Maybe it just wouldn't be a fit to build a brand new house in a particular area. What we'll do is we'll buy enough coverage on the building, um, that will cover tearing. Well, it will cover paying off any kind of mortgage that we have, any kind of underlying mortgage we might have, and then it will also cover the cost of going in and tearing that tearing that building down, and uh, or you know completing the the <clears throat> the teardown process. And if there's a basement, it would be removing the basement, filling the basement in, and just basically leveling that lot. And so what that allows us to do, it allows us to keep our insurance premiums really, really low. Uh, talk to your lender. There may be a required deductible amount for these policies for, for this particular, for we're talking about homeowners now on this landlord policy. There may be a required um, deductible. I know that mine uh, is a minimum of $5,000. So I have to have at least a $5,000 deductible. And I like to keep the deductibles as high as I possibly can. So 5,000 is about as high as I can go. But if I could, if I could get away with it, I would definitely, uh, you know, I do, I do 10 or something like that. And then just make sure that the coverage that I had in the end would cover even, uh, even my deductible amount, if that makes sense. So, so our policies are written very, very, they're very, very um, kind of stripped down policies. They are not, um, they don't have all the fluff and all the uh, silly little writers that they like to sell you on that can uh, really add up. If you've got a portfolio, uh, you know, those little, all those little writers and all those little things that you, that you don't need uh, can really add up. One thing I would recommend that you get um, with these landlord policies is the loss of income. Uh, I would pay for loss of income. And what that, all that is, is it doesn't mean a lot of people think that loss of income on these on these policies means that if you lose a tenant, you know, I, when I first started when I first started uh, getting into rental properties, I bought these this loss of income uh, writer on these policies, and I thought it was because oh I, you know I lost a tenant. Well, it's not it's not just if you lose a tenant; it's if your property is destroyed and you lose income from that uh, from that tenant being now being displaced. So. Um, it can help out, especially if, um, if you're trying, if there's this transition period, maybe you don't have anywhere for that tenant to go. And, um, you know, maybe it takes six or eight months or 12 months for you know, maybe the, the fire marshal to come in and do all the, uh, all the evaluation, the investigation. And then, uh, you know, in the meantime, you're just out that monthly cash flow. So that's what the loss of income is. It's going to protect you against, uh, it's going to protect protect you against that loss of income that you would normally have got had you had that had you had a tenant 
uh, in that property. And um, all right, let's see here. Does anybody have anything this morning? Wow, I said I was only going to be on here for a little bit, and that's already like, I'm only like 25 minutes into this thing. See, you get me talking about this stuff, and I just can't shut my mouth. <laughs> All right, Joshua says, uh, how are you ensuring that your coverage covers your deductible? Okay, so let's say, now keep in mind, I can only do, um, I have to be at 5000 I have to be at a, a minimum $5,000 deductible. I can go lower. I can do $2,500 deductible. Um, but, and that's going to raise my premium, but I have to, I have to, I can only go up to $5,000. The idea is obviously that the higher your deductible, the, uh, the lower your premium is going to be. So I would like to jack that up to $10,000. Well, I can't do that. So instead what I'll do, or let me, let me say this, if I could get it to $10,000, I would want to make sure that I purchased enough coverage to offset having to come out of my pocket with it for that $10,000. I hope that, hope that makes sense. If that doesn't make sense, uh, let me know. Let me know here in the, in the comments. All right. I would just stick with, I mean, honestly, we just stick with 5,000. We're done with it. Uh, we hit, we get really good rates. We're using a, uh, the insurance company we use is called SES. SES Insurance. They're uh, they're underwritten by Lloyd's of London, and uh, and Grub. Uh, um, is it is it Grub? Uh, yeah, yeah, Grub. It's Grub. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, so those who we that's we use SES. They're out of um, they're actually out of California. There's a company called uh, Real Protect who is a who's a broker for Grub or for uh, for SES, and they're in Gainesville, Georgia. Um, I would probably, things are changing with them quite a bit. So I would probably, um, I would probably look local first. Um, it's not that I don't, we've had really, really good luck with SES. Uh, I did have a, uh, we did have a major fire uh, in one of my multifamilies and uh, we had no problems with it at all. Um, I'm going to give you guys a, uh, a super great tip here. If you ever, have a catastrophe like this, if you ever have a fire or you have, um, you know, if you have a flood rider, if you're in a flood zone and you don't have a, you don't have flood insurance, you're just kind of screwed on, on this one. Uh, but if you ever have a major catastrophe, if you have uh, maybe a tornado comes through, or if you're in an area that doesn't have tornadoes, maybe a typhoon or a, a hurricane, make sure I'm telling you, make sure that you hire a public adjuster on this. A public adjuster, there are three people that can represent you in an insurance claim. One of them is yourself. One of them is an attorney. And the other is a public adjuster. Now, I've only dealt with a public adjuster here in my uh, in my home state, but I can tell you I do have friends. Um, so, I what I'm trying to say is I don't I don't know all the ins and outs of uh, the that industry in other states. But I can tell you that I do have friends that um, that have used them in uh, I've got one in I think one in Oregon, one in D.C. or Virginia. And I'm telling you, it's the best money that I ever spent on 
as it relates to insurance, as it relates to the, the topic we're talking about today, because um, what their their sole purpose is to look at the policy that you have in place and make sure that the insurance company is following that policy to a T. And it sounds like it sounds super simple. It sounds like something that you could just do. Uh, but I had never I had never had a, uh, a catastrophe like this before. And so uh, we were offered right up front. We were offered somewhere in the range of eighty six or eighty seven thousand dollars to get this property whipped back into shape and get it, you know, get a new unit and all that good stuff. Because it was a it was a four family and only one of the units was burned. So they, the insurance company, insurance company offered us 80, it was like 87,000, something like that. Well, I took the advice of another investor and went ahead and hired out, uh, hired a public adjuster. Now, public adjust, our public adjuster, they started at 12% on whatever they could recover. That was going to be their, that's their fee. Uh, if we went over, if he, if he could have recovered over a hundred thousand dollars, he dropped that rate down to 10%. So we ultimately ultimately what ended up happening was through this public adjuster and through his help, we were able to recover double, almost double what we, uh, what, what the insurance company was initially offering. So we ended up recovering over $160,000 on this, on this property. So, um, he, you know, of course, you know, I had to write him a check for, uh, for his 10%. So if we deduct that cost, we are still, we still came out way, way, way ahead. It was 100%. And now I'm so glad we did because, you know, there are these little things and this is what they do. There are these little things that we didn't catch. So these little, you know, these little things, it's hard for me to, uh, to kind of remember. This was, this was last year when this happened last December. So it's kind of hard to remember things like, um, you know, if you if you happen to tear in, if you have to tear into a wall, let's say, well, a lot of a lot of municipalities, a lot of cities will require that if you tear into a wall, you have to upgrade the entire building or you know something along those lines. That's that's what they told us uh, was that if we, you know, once we started removing this fire damage, now we have all of this, um, we have to do all these code upgrades to the property. Well, we didn't even think about that in the beginning. So the public adjuster, um, he, they just know things like that. They know they, they deal with insurance companies every day. And uh, it was just uh, not only that, but now you're hiring them. They literally take over everything. You hand them your policy. You, uh, you know, they get the police report. They get the fire marshal's report. And they literally take over everything. So it's kind of you're just offloading offloading additional work because this is not something you could ever really plan for. So uh, if you ever have, just keep this in mind, bear this in mind, try and remember this. If you ever have a, an issue or if you ever have a major catastrophe like that, definitely, uh, definitely hire that out to a public adjuster. I would highly recommend it. It was, like I said, it was the best money we ever spent. All right. Does anybody have anything Anything they want to uh, discuss this morning, whether it's about this topic or uh, something totally, totally separate. All right. Well, if nobody else has anything, I'm going to go ahead and call it this morning. 
again, I'm down here in uh, in the Smoky Mountains. And we're going to go out today, and we're going to have a little fun and uh, do some do some exploring and have a little have a good time. So, I appreciate everyone appreciate everyone joining. We will catch you guys next week. All right, take care, guys.